Is cash really king? That's what we'll find out in this episode of the Wealth Creation Podcast Series. Today, I'm joined by Bronwyn Trower and Glenn Copens from Investec Wealth and Investment. Bronwyn is a fund analyst at Investec Wealth and Investment. Her focus is on funds and offerings that pertain to credit, income, unlisted and alternative investments. She enjoys short runs, long afternoon sunsets with sundowners and time with friends and family. Glenn, on the other hand, is a senior portfolio manager at Investec Wealth and Investment. His primary focus is the management of alternative investment funds and products to retail and institutional clients. His passion for sport and especially watching his beloved Liverpool football team allows him to unwind from the markets and seemingly never walk alone whilst enjoying time with friends and family with a whiskey in hand. Bronwyn and Glenn, thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, yeah, today we want to talk about cash. And Glenn, let me start off with you. When we talk about cash as an asset class um, and as something that features in one's portfolio, what effectively are we talking about? I mean, are we talking about the Randellas in my wallet or are we talking about something else? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think it's it tends to be quite a um, interesting component when you talk about cash it's all encompassing there's many different derivations of what it is i mean i think if one starts with the most simple form foremost um, component of what it is it's kind of cash in hand the notes and the coins that one has um you know then it's moving up into cash as an asset class so that becomes where it becomes you know, a form of investment. So the one is a component of legal tender. You know, cash is easily transferable from one person to the next. It's used to pay for goods and services. But when you start moving it to an investment component, it forms part of a broader portfolio. So, you know, cash is is equivalent to a low-risk alternative um, investment. It's the starting point of all your investment um, components that you have. But... What it is, is effectively it has um, specific characteristics that people tend to utilize. But, you know, I, I think from its uh, most foremost component, ultimately one needs to consider that it is an exchange of an agreement or tender where someone gives a form of money um, for a promise of a delivery, a service, or from an investment component, some type of end investment goal. And Bron, we often hear, I mean, all of the lexicon and the terminology that uh, certainly trips up a lot of people, money market funds, notice deposits, and the like. Maybe just unpack for us, I guess, the wide diversity of, you know, the low risk and very liquid alternatives that Glenn has been talking about. No, for sure. I mean, as you, as Glenn's pointed out, you kind of start with cash and then you move your way up. My mom's always sending me messages saying, so-and-so bank is giving me this amount for 32-day notice. Is that, you know, the right rate? So then you move up to, to that sort of fixed deposit component. So your money is held with the bank for a period of time. And because it's technically locked in, they give you a little bit of a higher return. And then you kind of move up where you get to what Glenn mentioned in terms of money market. So money market ultimately is a fund where you put your money in, you get these near cash or close to cash returns, as again, Glenn spoke about, and it's really liquid. So there you've got the benefit of, you put your initial amount in as 100, you pretty much know what you're gonna get in terms of returns, depending on where rates are, and then you can easily get your money out in a day or two's notice. So that's kind of how it works, fixed deposit to money market. And I, and I guess the, the other dynamic, Glenn, I mean, just from, from Bron's response there is, 
you know, we often focus when we think about money just on the transactional, you know, requirements that it's able to meet. So I want to pay you something. And if I have cash on hand, makes it a lot easier. Uh, but there are also then, I guess, other issues related as with any investment insofar as preference for risk, preference for liquidity, and of course, I guess where one might be in their own life stage and what, you know, requirements for cash that might give rise to. Sure. I mean, I think the one kind of enduring characteristic or the number of enduring characteristics that, that all of these elements of cash have is that effectively they are liquid. Um, so it means you can, you know, utilize it in, in some shape or form quite quickly. Um, they are predictable. So you kind of know what you're getting, even in, in the example where Bronwyn alluded to a fixed deposit, you know what interest rate you're getting. So you know in three months time, if you've taken a three month fixed deposit, you know exactly how much your 100 rand is going to be worth it at a point in time. It's predictable. So it gives a lot of predictability around that. And there's a large elements of kind of capital preservation. So, you know, I mean, yes, these things, um, you know, nothing comes without any um, undue risk. So one needs to be cognizant of the different risk elements that you have within that. But people look at cash as kind of your, your risk-free component. So you're getting a lot of capital preservation, but you, there are certain risks that you need to understand and different components of different products have different risks. So, you know, um, people have a different tolerance for us, but a different product ultimately have, has a different risk profile. And it's important to understand, you know, you can't lump all cash investments into the same um, bucket because you need to understand what are the restrictions? Is there, can I get my cash out immediately? Does it take a period of time? Is there some form of additional risk that I've taken for to try and enhance the return that I've effectively got? So, you know, when, when one's plotting it from a risk tolerance perspective, um, you, you definitely need to, to be cognizant of the type of product that um, you are inferring. Mm. And, you know, Bron, I mean, I guess just based on what Glenn has said, one of the biggest risks to the purchasing power of money is time. I mean, you know, if, if you want to see that, go and look at a catalog for vehicles from the 80s or the early 90s and think about how much you could buy a car for. How do we deal with that? How big a risk is that? Because one rand today certainly can't fetch you as much as maybe one rand did, say, in early 2000. No, 100%. I mean, that is a huge component of this asset class is that, especially in today's times, it's not always beating what we're calling inflation. The fact that your money today is not worth what your money is in, you know, that same hundred in a year's time. I think that there's a couple of ways to look at it. Like Lynn says, there's ways where you can enhance this cash component, but when you do that, you need to give up something. So you give up the liquidity or you're taking on more risk. The other side of that, though, is then you have to move up the, the risk spectrum in terms of the fact that you now have to leave cash behind, move into fixed income, or move into kind of equities. So that's how you tend to beat it, but that is going up the risk spectrum. So it, it is a, I would call it a downfall, I don't know if you'd agree, Glenn, a downfall of cash is that at all points in time, you may not necessarily be beating inflation, but sometimes that's not your ultimate outcome for this investment class. The ultimate outcome for this investment class often is accessibility, so liquidity of that cash, and protection of capital, not necessarily a growth asset. Glenn? Mm. Yeah, I think if I can add, I mean, I think the important component when you think of cash as an investment tool is theoretically cash is the starting point of all investment decisions. So you start with a pot of money and then you, you determine based on a person's risk profile, their specific needs and, and objectives, um, where they are in the life stage, 
um, that will then determine how you construct the portfolio and how much you move away from cash. Because effectively, cash is considered as your starting point, as your risk-free, and as you start moving to the fixed income or the equity within your uh, portfolio, that's when you start moving away. So understanding what that is. So you know, historically, as as Bronner alluded to, cash did deliver a real return, which is outperforming um, inflation. In the last few years, this has probably not been the case. You know, we currently sit in a situation of globally high inflation, interest rates were at historic lows. As much as we're now in a cycle where interest rates are increasing, um, people are still eroding that purchasing power. Power. So if you want to build it up, you know, you can't look at cash in isolation and say, yes, that's going to protect my capital. You need to then maybe start adding some risk elements, which does introduce some volatility, it introduces some capital risk. If you add that into the equation, hopefully it boosts your overall return, that then you can still uh, protect the purchase power um, that you have relative to kind of inflationary concerns that are prevalent. I like the point that you made that I guess cash is is in many ways the starting point of any investment journey because I, I want us just to think, Glenn, for a second about the role that cash can play alongside other asset classes in what we often told should be a diversified portfolio. I mean, I think, you know, you can look at it as the starting point of where you know you start with your risk-free element and as you start creating risk depending on your needs you start adding other assets but from the same perspective it can also be you know in times of stress and you know it's obviously um, extremely difficult to call the markets and timing of when markets are going to underperform but obviously if you can protect capital um, if you're a conservative investor, you know, that doesn't want that volatility, you probably need higher levels of cash. But you can also use cash as an opportunity. So, you know, in times of uncertainty, rather than, you know, trying to say, well, I'm going to figure out where, where I'm going to put my money, sometimes it's not the worst place to be to remain in cash type investments and wait for that opportunity until you can actually get more comfortable from a risk profile or from an opportunity of markets. So, so, you know, cash does deliver that, but I think one not, needs to be cognizant of, of what the consequences are of that. You know, if you sit with too long a period of time just sitting in cash, we spoke about the uh, ability to erode um, in, against inflation to not meet your objectives. When do you actually potentially time uh, to actually enter into these alternatives? But you can have the accessibility to ultimately get into the opportunities um, at points in time in the cycle that maybe do make sense. Bron, I mean, I think just another thing that comes to mind as, as Glenn was speaking there is this interface between, you know, risk preference and one's life stage and by implication, you know, their need for cash. Um, so I potentially at this stage in my life probably need a lot less by way of predictable income streams than say somebody who, like my grandmother's in her seventies, has retired and effectively, I guess, you know, is looking for a very predictable kind of lifestyle. What role does cash play there? No, 100%. I think um, a couple of my friends in sort of the age group, let's call it 25 to 35, so we don't leave anyone out. We've always chatted about, and the starting point really comes from budgeting. So I'm going to take you to the scenic route, but we start talking about budgeting and going, okay, these are expenses. How much are you guys spending on groceries? What's the story? And the next level of budgeting is kind of go, how much cash do you hold and what do you hold it for? And we've often thrown around a couple ideas. Now, we're a diverse group of friends and we come from very different backgrounds, so we figure out that there's kind of these sort of three elements to why we hold cash. It is a lifestyle type thing. It's a life event, 
driven type thing. And it's the rainy day when we try to be adults and, and really look after ourselves. So the, the lifestyle type thing is sometimes we find in our group of friends, literally going from people in marketing, psychologists, accounting, literally across the spectrum is people want to save to enjoy themselves. They want to go on holiday. They want to do certain things in terms of maybe saving three to six months of their salary or the expenses to make sure that they have flexibility. Should they move jobs? Should they want to do something with that? So that really is that lifestyle element. The life event element we found is um, a lot of us are, you know, some people maybe are looking to get married. So engagement rings, weddings, those types of situations, 60 years old, they might want to save or sort of a gift or, a, you know, a present for, for the family. Um, sometimes there's Lavola saving. So we find that it depends on that life event that people might be saving for that that might sort of trickle through. And then it's the rainy day, the, the geezer breaks, you know, you, you got to replace a tire or maybe, you know, uh, maybe this hopefully this doesn't happen, but you're in an accident of sorts and you got to play that, you know, insurance excess. It's it's that kind of stuff that we generally, I find our age group when we have conversations about it, starting with budgeting and then going, how much cash do you have? What do you hold it for? And those examples I just mentioned are generally what what the use is for in, in the younger, younger professionals. Mm. It seems, Glenn, it's a combination of, you know, lifestyle, preferences, needs, and of course, also, I guess, risk management, because a lot of what you've mentioned uh, there, Bron, is around saying, look, God forbid, if you were to have an accident or if you would have to have, you know, to have an unforeseen event that might require you to pay down money, uh, you should have some of that on hand or able to unlock it quickly enough to be able to meet that preference. Glenn, your, your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, I mean, I 100% agree. You know, those are the the kind of core components. And I don't think those go away as your life stage progresses. I think that goal-orientated need um, does change quite significantly. You may have different needs in terms of family approaching retirement, maybe saving for for, for holidays too. So, so those sort of um, elements are, are certainly um, continue as, as you move along. But I think what, you know, tends to happen from a risk perspective is, you know, it depends where you are in that in that sort of life cycle. You know, if you're in that accumulation stage where you hold, hopefully building, you potentially have the ability to take on more capital growth. So you, you still need cash um, investments from a liquidity perspective. But, you know, the, 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 the 10 profile that you tend to have as you start approaching retirement is obviously you start de-risking your portfolio because, you know, you, you want to ensure that, you know, you have longevity, you have liabilities that you're going to need to meet. And as you move along, you're ultimately going to try and find the, the components that, you know, you're able to retire um, without too much capital volatility. So you tend to increase your, your cash components. But there are other considerations that you need to have. You know, ho hopefully you've got to that point. You know, you, you have from a, you need to consider, you know, tax effects of what having cash is. So, you know, from, from a SARS and the, the tax man's perspective, we get a, a certain amount of rebate um, before you have to pay tax. But beyond that, tax does become quite penal from um, an investment perspective relative to, to equities. So, you know, if you are in a higher um, earning marginal tax bracket, um, you do need to consider how much cash you need to have on hand and what are those needs. Potentially, there's other avenues that you can still find investments that maintain those sort of characteristics that we spoke about before, the, the capital preservation, the low risk, the low volatility, the predictability. So they're still in this kind of cash spectrum, but you look at it as more as a, as long-term, you know, maybe I need to pay off um, certain, I want to put down a deposit for, for a 
a house or what the case might be. So your your objectives may change, but kind of the the essence of it actually is potentially enduring all the way through. But your 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 cash component certainly becomes more and more um, prevalent. I think you know I think it's an interesting dynamic. You know, cash cash is probably king in the early years because you have low access to savings and and you know you're spending all the money um, in your earlier years. Um, and as you get uh, later on, it became brings a lot more relevance to the table unless you have sufficient capital um, at stake. You know, you will always need cash available t- for whatever those purposes may be. Mm. And I guess, you know, it might be the purposes very vary. You know, you might want to go to Anfield, Glenn, or, or you know, Bron, as she <laughs> said, she might want to she might want to go on a trip somewhere. But I mean, Bron, you made a point earlier on, which I found quite interesting that, um, you know, the story, of course, starts in the budgeting and the allocative side of things, because that then determines sort of your liquidity preference and your needs day to day of cash and whatever cash you hold. I mean, just in terms of what we're seeing in so far as other things that play the same function as cash, but substitute away from cash. I mean, I'm thinking of loyalty programs here. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, other alternatives, which effectively expand what we think of that cash basket as. No, 100%. Um, I've got a couple of friends who those those loyalty programs, if, if we do something, they go, can we please use our loyalty card? So it definitely, I think, adds a, an extra element. And what is interesting is, though we're talking about budgeting and we're talking about saving and we're talking about cash, there's an element of spending. So it's a little bit strange that you can spend to earn the thing that will help you get a near cash something that you can use for something that was already in, in your budgeted return. So I think there's definitely a place for it. I think more and more so as the years go by and as as these things get more integrated within our banking offerings, there's definitely a place for for something like that. However, I always do tell my friends that try and use their loyalty cards. Don't bank on your loyalty cards or don't bank on those loyalty points. Again, the starting point is that should be a bonus. And if should that come and cover what your cash saving was, then it's a great, you know, it's an extra thing. It's a bonus. And, And I think to add on to what Glenn kind of said, um, is I do find in our age category, there is no in-between. It's this minimum cash portion and saving, and then it is the risky assets. There's no real in-between because as soon as you've budgeted and you've got that minimum amount that allows you to basically feel a little bit comfortable, sleep at night, meet your, your objectives and your needs, then everything else tends to trickle into this long-term equity bucket because we have time, because we can stomach the volatility, and because we should be in the, the longer growth assets. And I guess it comes back to the life stage issue, Glenn, as well, because, you know, circumstances change, you know, people change, uh, the dynamic and even one's cash requirements every single day change. For many of the people who are listening into this, I mean, there might be the question of saying, am I carrying too much cash around? And if I am, you know, what are the other possibilities that can at least give me some medium level kind risk rather than taking all of that money, plowing it into equities? Yeah, look, it's unfortunately it's hard to get kind of a generic overview of what what's right. Every person's individual circumstances, their their life stage, their liquidity needs, exactly what you said, their risk profile. That's all going to determine how you should construct a person's portfolio. So mm-hmm. two people that could invariably look identical at the same yeah. situation may have different needs, and it may be short term needs versus long term needs. Um, so as you said, I want to save to go to Anfield, but you know, <laughs> uh, my mate has got the exact same circumstances. He has absolutely no interest in doing that. 
that. So I might have a need that that I need to make sure that I, I have sufficient cash to to actually do that. So, you know, the, the there has been from an investment perspective, there's been a, a really large um, influx into what we call income funds in the last kind of five to six years. It's been probably the fastest growing sector in the um, collective investment scheme, which is the unit trust industry. Um, and, and it basically comes from the rationale. You know, we go back to those same characteristics of, of what people want, um, but it's giving them the ability to earn a slightly higher return. So in some instances, there are portfolios that uh, are tax efficient. So they, you know, they take care of that. They consider the after tax nature. But invariably, these are, they provide an income, um, they're stable, they're predictable, and they tend to be liquid. And, you know, we don't think that that uh, is, is going away. The, that's certainly uh, going to continue to be a fast growing component of the investment markets. So, you know, including those type of vehicles um, in there, you know, you, you give it to a professional money manager who has the ability to access all different type of banking products that allow you to get an enhanced return but allow you to still get a, um, a good income return um, for, for yourselves. I think that's probably a, a core component that, that is going to remain important in, in investors' um, portfolios. Are we finding, Glenn, that those options are becoming a lot more open to the mass market in so far as the barriers to accessing, for instance, a unit trust as a collective investment as opposed to maybe, say, 15, 20 years ago? Yes, it most certainly is. I mean, I think it's, it's you know, there, there may have been some sort of aspirational or exclusivity thing that people felt they couldn't necessarily get into. Um, there are so many different product providers that people have access to. It doesn't matter, you know, what your income level is, what your geographic location is, what, what your preference is. Um, and, and a lot of those minimums have, you know, been brought down to try and actually get people into the system. And there, there are platforms there um, across the board that even will take a lot of the most complex instruments that were effectively the domain of high net worths only that is now giving access to the traditional um, retail client, the man on the street. And, and, and you know, it's about, it's about growing with the clients because someone at the age of 25, it's about teaching them the fundamentals of investing and getting them to understand that we speak, speak about the, you know, not having access to savings, but it's more about the concept and the process and, and getting that there than, you know, the, the, the pure rands and sense of what you get. So getting people into the market hopefully becomes this kind of longstanding relationship um, when people eventually do get to the accumulation and kind of growth stage of their, their lives when they potentially do have a bit more capital allocate. So at least you can get a lot more of that education um, in the younger years now. And if I can jump in, I yeah, sorry sure. about that. Is Glenn? I mean, Glenn speaks about the high net worths only having these, you know, access to these type of things, and now you're coming back to the retail client. I think what Glenn, you and I have both seen this, where now your corporate client also has a different view on cash. So before they used to be really strict, treasury only. These big corporates used to say, "Do not even mess with my cash balance. I'm mm. going to go into the really safe stuff." So the stuff we spoke about initially, the deposits the, you know, notice deposits and maybe money market, you know, because that's still taking underlying bank risk. And now what we've seen is in these sort of structures or in these offerings, these near cash offerings, we're seeing that because 
corporates can still take sort of um, enhanced cash uh, positions, but they may be earning dividends, say, for example, which for them is not only beneficial in the sense that you still have a liquid asset, the underlying still gives you a steady return, but now you're earning a dividend as an SA company or corporate, you don't get taxed on that, you know. And then we've seen that the other way around. So we again was talking now about these income products that they take a little bit more risk. So you're not out of the capital protection world. You mm. earn a little bit more uh, interest, really. But now as a corporate, again, where you've started out, so we get entrepreneurs who've started out companies, they maybe haven't made, you know, these profits in the first couple of years, but they have these losses on balance sheet. They're now mm. earning interest when they're not paying tax on that. So that sets it off. So we found that people have gone quite clever. Hey, actually, again, with these type of cash solutions, not only moving from the client being high net worth to the man on the street, but also that the corporates are, are being able to access a, a wider range of cash or cash enhanced mm. products. Yeah, yeah. And maybe just as, as, as you know, Glenn, Come in there before we wrap up, because I want us to maybe come back to the macro story and Bron uh, and her mom and the decision-making matrix around the notice deposit. But Glenn, come in there. Yeah, just from, I mean, from the corporates, I think what, what is interesting in, you know, in, in terms of stress and difficulty in the macro environment that we've had globally, um, corporates tend to hold on to their cash, you know, they, they, there's mm. lack of investment, there's lack of capital expenditure, um, depending on the type of industry they're in. But what you found is, you know, we've seen a, a massive dispersion. You know, unfortunately, there's been a big fall off of, of entities that, that have struggled. But the ones that have have endured and, you know, been successful have actually done really well in this kind of post-COVID world and this difficult macro environment. And 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 historically, the, you know, they, they would have, wouldn't have really thought of cash. They, you know, it's an entrepreneur. They're very focused on their business. Now, you know, they, they potentially have larger cash pools and the ability to earn a little bit more by, you know, maybe looking and understanding a bit or seeking the advice of a professional to, to assist with that mm-hmm. allows them to say, well, you know, I can actually build up my capital balance. I can maintain it and I can use it at the point that I need and without just leaving it in, you know, in a call account um, earning um, absolutely uh, no no return. Now it's it's a you know it's becoming a requirement that the CFOs of these businesses need to you know upskill themselves and understand what it is because you know cash is not just for um, the retail investor. It's got a, a, mm. a very important component for for um, corporates and it's not just the domain of the large corporates as historically would have done. It's now very much in in, mm. in the space of the the SME market. And I guess we're likely to expect a lot more of that with the path that interest rates are taking globally, uh, where, you know, the benefit of maybe putting that in a sort of short term uh, money market or notice uh, type instrument uh, might yield some some benefit as well. Glenn and then Bron. Yeah, that is 100 percent correct. I mean, I, I think just. You know the the optics of what it looks like when you know in in post COVID we had in excess of three hundred um, basis point reduction in interest rates and when rates were so low, you know someone looks at their return and they might be getting four percent on a money market fund and if they actually take tax off whether they're an individual or corporate it's even less. So you know in a rising interest rate environment it moves um, lockstep and barrel with that. Um, that now, you know, fundamentally, it makes a bit more sense. You, you're getting back to that point where, you know, just the absolute level is more enticing, six, seven percent. We also, you know, you're going to you're going to increase from here. 
And also goes back to, you know, potentially going back into that realm where historically where money market or, or cash investments earned a real return above inflation. And mm. um, we, we're definitely going back into that cycle. So it does um, lead itself more towards it being more enticing. But that's also coupled with, you know, the, the risk elements that we have. So in an uncertain world, risk assets such as equities are, you know, certainly more volatile. So, you know, people that are more hesitant that, you know, have a little bit more of a shorter to medium term investment horizon are probably going to look at to, to cash type investments as um, more appropriate vehicles for them to manage through this volatility. Bron? No, exactly. This increasing rate environment, just to bring it back to my mom's story, is exactly why I'm getting more WhatsApps from her because she's getting more <laughs> notifications on products that look a lot more appetizing than what she'd seen, you know, sort of two years ago. So often I explain to my friends who aren't in finance, they kind of go, well, what's happening here? We're increasing rates and we're stifled and we're under pressure and our expenses and our car payments and our bond payments are more expensive. Um, but exactly to, to clients tune is that this is a way to increase those those rates so that we actually earn a return that is higher than inflation to protect mm. that that cash basket. Yeah. Bron and Glenn, just out of interest, um, I, I hope you have your wallets close by. I just want to find out like on a liquidity preference perspective, how much cash are you guys walking around with? <laughs> Glenn's got enough to take him to Anfield. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to mug you or anything. I just want to find out. I mean, how much how much do the people in the money markets carry in their wallets? That's a great question. So uh, my cash is invested or my cash is electronic. Uh, it's it's uh, become Plastic a standing cash. discussion now of how little cash you carry. And unfortunately, mm. you know, in some of the day-to-day things where you hop around town where you actually need some form of cash. So um, I was at an event yesterday where I used my last two notes of cash and I actually was um, driving into the office this morning and realized I don't have one um, note of cash. So, you know, it, it now means that I need to make a trip to, to an ATM to go and get cash. Um, and, you know, you'll have to keep that. But it's, it's, it's certainly, uh, you know, I think we've, we've moved into this world where, yeah. you know, get, cash is not necessarily notes anymore, but um, hopefully more of the informal sector starts actually, um, you know, realizing that we, we need to find ways. I mean, our, our, our anecdotal um, thing, I, I was really um, impressed the other day where, you know, part of the issue where you have people looking after your cars and, you know, you want to give someone the support. When I arrived at, a, at leaving a restaurant the other night, as soon as I got to the car, before I even said it, the guy said to me, don't worry, I know you don't carry cash. I've got it sorted. I've got a machine. And there he or, was. Or and, a QR you know, code. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that entrepreneurial spirit, you know, he, he, mm. you know, I, I admire it. And you're probably going to get rewarded. So firstly, you now, if, if anyone was using it as an excuse, they certainly now can't use that. But now he, he effectively, I, I think that sort of uh, ingenuity is, is definitely being yeah. rewarded a lot more. So I admire that. And hopefully, I think we see a lot more of that in the South African market. We, we've definitely seen that actually in, in some other developing markets, but I, I think mm. South Africa still has a way to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bron, last comment on your end. And I must say, finding an ATM these days is like a Easter treasure hunt, if I can say so. <laughs> no, I must agree with Glenn. I had the same experience and I was parking my car, got back in the car and the lady told me, don't worry, here's my number. You can do the whole set and cash thing. And I thought to myself, this is exactly what we need. So yeah. it's good to know that there's different forms of, of cash that, that are being um, adopted within our country. Awesome stuff. Glenn and Bron, thanks to the pair of you for your time. Uh, and uh, yeah, do tune in 
to the next episode in this uh, series where we'll once again be in conversation with experts from Investec Wealth and Investment. And this time, we'll be discussing private equity and how to invest in this asset class sensibly. So do catch us then. Take care. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of Investec Wealth and Investment International and should not be taken as advice, guidance, or recommendation. Investec Wealth and Investment International, a member of the JSE Equity, Equity Derivatives, Currency Derivatives, Bond Derivatives, and Interest Rate Derivatives Markets, an authorized financial services provider and a registered credit provider.